0: Like if you want to find out where you are spiritually, just ask yourself right now, what am I not willing to give God? And whatever you answer, that's where you are spiritually.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Father, we come before you, and God, as I just yield myself to you, Holy Spirit, may you move in power, May You move in might. Uh, May You move in strength. Uh, May You move in such a way, Father, right now that only giving all the glory and deflection to You could be the only explanation. And so, Father, keep us from the schemes of the enemy. Uh, Don't allow him to have any foothold right now, but I pray all that we would see and hear is the risen Savior Jesus? May we fall in love with Him more and more. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. I take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, uh, looking at verses 1 through 6 today, as we journey uh, into Acts 20. And thinking of 2024, it's here. Uh, some of you are maybe still trying to get your Scissors Y2K compliant. You're a few years behind if that's the case. But it is 24, and it's hard to believe that here we are in 2024, and, and in each year that, that goes and comes and goes and comes One of my fears is that people all over our world today who profess Christ don't make any spiritual goals. They just kind of show up in the next year and just stumble into that year and just kind of hope that spiritually, somehow they will experience revival and reformation and awakening. And It just dumbfounds me because we... We'll spend so much time planning into the new year for vacations and what we're doing at our workplace and, and all the different family activities. And again, those things in and of themselves aren't bad, but what's most important is your spiritual walk with the Lord. And yet so many times, if we're honest, we don't spend any time planning for the future spiritually. You know, I I think one of the questions is, what am I willing to give God in 24? It might be kind of a hokey thought, but, you know, Jesus wants more in 24. But the more I got to process that this past week, I, I don't think the right question is, what am I willing to give God? I actually think the right question is, what am I not willing to give Him? Like, if you want to find out where you are spiritually, just ask yourself right now, what am I not willing to give God? And whatever you answer, that's where you are spiritually. My prayer, of course, for me and for you is that when we ask the question, what am I not willing to give God, that all of us would resoundingly say, I'm willing to give God anything and everything. What are you perhaps not willing to give God truthfully in 24? Marinate on that as we dive into these six verses together. From Acts chapter 20, thinking of spiritual goals in 2024. Acts 20 ESV translation. Verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, make a note of that, we're going to come back to that, he said farewell, and he departed for Macedonia. Now look at verse 2, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much, what church? Encouragement, he came to Greece. There, verse 3, he spent three months and a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. So he decided to return through Macedonia. Now look at verse 4. These are Paul's traveling companions. So Sepater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanying him, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and, and Gaius of Derby. I always just chuckle when I read these names. Aren't you glad we have Tom and and George, etc., these days? And Timothy, there's an easy one. And the Asians Antichycus and Tychicus and Trophimus, again, these are most likely the representatives of various churches that, that Paul worked with, and they're now his band of brothers, they're, they're standing with him, they're, they're sticking with him as he is battling for the gospel and taking this offering, as we would learn in other texts, to these impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. But the church is unified, that's the key. Verse 5, these went on ahead and were waiting for us, interesting little point there, So Luke's writing this, and when he says, us, we can deduct that he's now rejoined the group, Dr. Luke, that is, at Troas. Lastly, verse 6, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Remember that unleavened bread, it began around the Passover time, lasted for a week, and they ate unleavened bread because they were commemorating, praising the Lord for freedom from the bondage of Egypt. Boy, that's a, that right there, that little nugget in 24, as we just celebrated the Lord's Supper, should be such a, a dire dagger, if you will, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit, because if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ right now, that, that you should be celebrating that Jesus has freed you from your Egypt. My fear is so many who profess Jesus don't celebrate their rescue. But that should be us, Amen. Take a look for a moment as we just break this down into two chunks this morning. Let's dig deep for a moment into Acts 21 through2. So look in your Bible on the screens, just two verses, Acts 20, 1 through 2. It says this, that after the uproar, so remember the hysterical mob from last time together in Ephesus ceased. So after the uproar ceased, <laughs> it just made me think, of, how many of you were here last time? Raise your hand if you were here. Do you remember what we talked about? Remember this hysterical uproar? So they gathered together there in Ephesus. Paul comes on the scene. They're making a whole bunch of coin off of these little trinkets, tchotchkes, if you will, about Diana, the the temple of Artemis, And Paul comes in and just throws dirty baby bathwater on their party. And he goes... uh, Those aren't really gods, they're false. And all these dudes that are making bank or scrambling going, this is hurting our bottom line, what are we going to do? And so all of a sudden, the whole city is in an uproar, and if you remember from last time together, they're screaming for two hours. So for two hours straight, they're just screaming, and then the Bible says this, and some of them had no idea why they were even there. Well, that sounds productive, doesn't it? That's what Satan does, though, doesn't he? Gets people screaming. People don't even know why they're there. But after this uproar, verse 1 of 20, Paul sent for the disciples, and after, here it is, after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia that's that northern part of Greece. When he had gone through, verse 2, those regions, and had given them much, what church? Encouragement, he came to Greece. Now again, this is, we can deduct is the Corinth area where he wrote the book of Romans. Now, right out of the gate, I want you to write down key number one. Write this down in your, in your notes. Write this down. The word encourage... Biblically speaking, means to exhort, to comfort, to instruct, buckle up, and even to admonish. So if you're looking for the biblical definition of the word encourage, that's exactly hermeneutically from the Greek what I just gave you. Let me read it one more time, biblically speaking. The word encourage means to exhort, to comfort, to instruct, and even to admonish. If you're wondering what the word admonish means, it means this, to warn someone firmly. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you, when you think of the word encourage, think about warning someone firmly. That's typically the response. That word has dual meanings, and yes, it, it means to come alongside. I mean, I think through this. So if, if you know someone that for the last year, let's say, as we're starting a new year, that let's say they've spiritually been a human pinata for Jesus you're probably going to encourage them through the comfort angle. Amen? At least I hope. They've been a spiritual piñata for Jesus. You're probably not going to firmly warn them. You're going to encourage them. You're going to comfort them to say, well, thank you for standing for the truth. Thank you for, for standing in the gap. Thank you for being that one that's willing to be bold and, and to take the hits and, and to take the, the punishment, if you will, for the cause of the gospel. That's probably what you'll do. You'll put your arm around them, so to speak. Now, if you have another professed believer who's the last year has been lazy and they're cutting corners and They're seeing how how they can just kind of sink down to the lowest common denominator in their spiritual walk, and they got an excuse for this, and they got an excuse for that, and they actually have excuses for the excuses. I don't think coming alongside with an arm around the shoulder and saying, Oh, it's going to be okay, poor baby. That's a time, if you really love that person, to lovingly warn them and say, this is not good. Matter of fact, a good parent will encourage their children biblically in all four of these areas. A good parent, a biblical parent, they will comfort, they will instruct, they will exhort, and there's going to be times <laughs> where so they're going to say, and "This is not God honoring. There's a bridge out. You're, you're heading over a bridge. I know you don't see it." But spiritually, you're going to go over a bridge. This is exactly what that word means. Which I find it interesting because it's used twice here in these two verses. So Paul goes around to these different churches and he encourages them. Do we know exactly what he said? Not really. But we can deduct that knowing Paul, knowing his personality, that He probably did all four things depending on the circumstances and the situation. You could even say it like this. You could argue that the word encourage means to infuse or to put courage into. So again, there's times where you do that and you put an arm around the shoulder and you comfort. Yes, you do. There's other times where you you go to someone and you go, come on, let's go. Come on. We can't keep us dragging along here. Come on. Church, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus wants more in 24. There's no doubt in my mind. And the question is not, what are you willing to give God? The real question is, what are you not willing to give Him? Think on these thoughts. The Bible does not spell out here what Paul said. But I know this, a great goal for all of us, myself included in 24, is to resolve today to be a spiritual encourager. You may comfort, you may instruct, you may exhort, you may lovingly admonish. And likewise, a goal is to receive that fourfold encouragement. I get the admonishing part, doesn't seem like encouragement, but when it's from a posture of love, a heart of love, that it actually is. Again, going back to the parent to the child, for you that are parents in the room or grandparents, you... You love that child so much you're willing to say some hard things to them because you love them. You you tell them not to touch the hot stove because you don't want them getting burned. You tell them not to run out onto I-95 because you don't want them to get hit. Spiritually, there's so many times that as a pastor you see people running out on a spiritual I-95. And you're like, don't do this. You're gonna get hit. I was thinking through that thought, and I broke this down into four areas. We'll go backwards. So write down Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews ten, twenty-four through twenty-five. So this is the warning, the admonishing. We're going to go backwards here. So so based on the biblical definition of encouragement, here are some encouraging, air quotes, verses. Hebrews 10, 24-25. Here's what it says. This is the Bible. And let us consider, let us ponder, let us think on how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As I talk with other pastors, this is by far the number one challenge across America today right here. I think the greatest war goes on, we'll use our church as an example, at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. Now, another church might be 11 o'clock or 9.30 or whatever. It's the corporate gathering. In my opinion, this is the greatest war that goes on all week. How can I, Satan says, just get people to not show up at that hour to not be under the Word, to not be in the fellowship, to not be koinonia, if you will, that, that true encouragement of fellowship that instructs, admonishes, yes, exhorts, that comforts. I believe it's the number one issue that we're seeing facing the church in America today. Number one. And when you look at the Bible, this is written a long time ago. Hebrews 10 says this, and let us consider, verse 24, how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's so interesting that Greek word stir up is only used in one other place in the entire Bible. Only one other place is the stirring up that's Greek word used in the entire Bible. Any ideas where it is? Yeah, you guessed it. When Paul and Barnabas are having an intense dispute over John Mark, the same word is being used. There's this intense dispute. John Mark has proven himself unfaithful. We can't have him on the team anymore. So, Paul's saying, Barnabas is saying, wait a minute. Let's give another chance. And there's this great dispute. There's this great stirring up. There's this contention going on. This contention. It's the same word used right here in Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to literally irritate, agitate, provoke. Wow. Well, that brings a whole new definition to that verse, doesn't it? See, the reason there's an irritation and an agitation and a provoking Is that the writer of Hebrews, and that's in much debate who that was, the writer here by the power of the Holy Spirit sees what's at stake. Moms and dads and grandparents, when you know what's at stake for that grandchild or that child, when you know what's at stake, then you're going to do whatever you can, aren't you? And the writer here is going, this is what's at stake. What's at stake is we got people that is the habit of, you know, we'll show up when we want to, and, you know, we got a ball game to go to, or, or, or we got gymnastics, or, or we got company in town. Hey, bring them to church. Maybe they'll get saved. Amen. And just excuse after excuse after excuse. And the subtlety of this sin right here, and that's what it is it's a sin. It actually is weakening the person spiritually. And it's weakening the whole body spiritually. Church, what are you not willing to give Jesus in 24? Warning. Warning, warning. The Bible says that judgment begins at the house of God. The love of many will grow cold, the Bible says in the last days. Wake up, wake up. Don't play games with God. Warning, warning, warning. God will not be mocked. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap. Don't give Satan an open door, he'll pounce. And then one missed Sunday turns into two, and two's four. Before you know it, it's two months. And things seem good and easy, but you're sliding in to a spiritual abyss. I lovingly want to encourage you in this area in 24. Guard Sunday morning with your life, just guard it with your life because it is life. And even on the Sundays we don't feel good. We can still press through as God enables. Amen? Secondly, here's instruction from an encouragement standpoint. And this next one is instruction. That subtle carbon monoxide that again, as I talk with pastors all over the country, they see this going on as well. So, write down Proverbs 10, 19. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Talking about other people destroys just not the person being talked about but it destroys the life of the owner here's a new approach in 24 what if when we are all tempted to talk about someone why don't we go talk to them And with that thought, when we're tempted to talk about someone, why don't we start sharing what God is doing in our own lives as He's conforming us to the image of Christ? <laughs> you want to see a revival take over? Can you imagine you got everyone running around? You wouldn't believe what God's doing in my life. This is amazing. As He's conforming me to the image of Christ, it'd be powerful, wouldn't it? Spurgeon said it like this, if you want the truth to go around the world, you must hire an express train to pull it. But if you want a lie to go around the world, it will fly. It is light as a feather and a breath can carry it, end quote. Church, the Bible tells us that the tongue is full of deadly poison. James 3, not on the screens, but read it later. James 3, it it talks about the deadly poison in the tongue and, and that it can literally set a whole forest on fire. It's such a small little vessel, but it's like a rudder, and it can lead a ship off the edge of the ocean. But why? Here's the question. Why is the tongue from an encouraging instruction viewpoint, why is the tongue full of deadly poison? Any ideas? Because the tongue is not the actual issue. The tongue is connected to the real issue. And the Bible says this, that out of the abundance of the heart, The mouth speaks. See, what the problem is, what's in here? And this little gear kicks over, and the tongue starts wagging and flapping. And before we know it, we have a forest fire on our hands. One person said that culture is created at the top, sustained from the bottom and destroyed from the middle. And it's often destroyed because of the tongue. Remember, church, that Satan means accuser, attacker, and both he and those that are working for him, they continually attack through slander. Don't give Satan an open door. He's going to pounce. Don't be duped. Don't be seduced. Wake up. Wake up. Don't play games with God in 24. There'll be a heavy price to pay. Thirdly, from a comforting standpoint of the word encouragement, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 3-4, but this is one of those go-to segments of verses that I think of often. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that… What do the two words, so that, mean? I pray you've learned it by now. It means, here comes the why. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's powerful, isn't it? Maybe today you're going, God, why am I in this pit? Maybe you're crying out, God, why am I in the fiery furnace again? Perhaps one of the reasons is so as God leads you to someone this week inside another fiery furnace, you're going to be able to comfort them with the same comfort you're receiving. You're going to be able not in theory but in practice, not in theory, but true empathy, to say, I've, I've been there, I've walked this road, I've been in your shoes, Great news, Jesus is there in the midst of your fire. He's there to hold you. He he will carry you through the waters. They will not overflow. They will not take a flood into your lives and bury you with the water. But but God is there that that, that He can do a work, that that He's working out an eternal weight of glory, that that can only be compared to what we see in glory. You can say, look, I understand this. Uh, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. and and I get it that these light momentary afflictions that, that Paul wrote on don't always seem real light when you're in the middle but compared to eternity but compared to eternity man they're light aren't they church they're light I know they don't seem momentary but they are compared to eternity see it all depends on where you're looking Are you setting your mind on things above? Or are you setting your mind on things of this earth? For you've died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your life. Be a person who who counts it all joy. Be a person as Paul did, that he was sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Just knowing with confidence that where God guides, He provides. Where He leads, He feeds. And as the great missionary Hudson Taylor said, God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. Be that person in 24. It's going to be real tough to be battle-tested unless you're in a battle. It's going to be really tough to be forged by the fire unless you're in a fire. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Praise God, amen? Why? So that we may be able to... Don't waste your suffering today. Don't waste your affliction so that you can go comfort someone else and say, I've been there. And I saw the hand of God there. I saw the hand of God there. I saw the hand of God there. What a testimony, amen. Lastly, here's an exhortation from the word encouragement. Philippians, write this down lastly. Philippians 3, 12-21. through 21. Philippians 3, 12 through 21, here's an exhortation. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He said, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I do what, church? I press on. To make it what? This is key. To make it what? My own. See, I think so many people are pressing on. They're just not making it their own. They're riding on the coattails of their parents, their husband, their wife. The whole point is that you'd make this thing your own. You'd own it. That we make it my own because Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus has made me his own. But that's a testimony right there, amen? But you won't be able to shout from the mountain that Jesus Christ owns me. Like he owns me. I'm chained to Christ. That's the testimony of a true believer. Brothers, verse 13, Philippians 3, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Oh, there it is. Boy, he sharpened the pencil, didn't he? He realizes he's a work in progress. But one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and, and, and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, spiritually mature. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, verse 17 Philippians 3, join in imitating me. Hmm. and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, not some, for many of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. They just bask and waller in their shame. They flaunt it. Hmm. With minds that are set, here it is, on earthly things. But, verse 20, but our citizenship is where, church? It's in heaven. Oh. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And all God's people said, Amen. The sin-bearing work of Christ declared for the true believer, it is finished. That's what the sin-bearing work of Christ did. I just love this. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Church, I don't know what happened in 23 in your life, but can you put that behind you? And can you strain towards 24 all for the praise of God's glory? Satan's power is in the past. But that's actually not totally true because if you're a true believer in Christ, what is true is that Jesus has redeemed our past. Amen? The old man, the old woman has become new in Christ. Strain forward. Don't strain backward. Fail, fall forward. Don't fail and fall backward press forward, press forward, press forward, be encouraged, be exhorted. I had a conversation here recently. A person came up to me and they said, you know what, I'm just really struggling right now because I just want to make sure that that I'm living my life totally for Jesus. And I was like, can I clone you? (laughs) I was like, that's awesome. You want to get your preacher fired up. I just don't know if I'm really living for Jesus. I want to, though. Can you help me? Watch out, world. God will do great things in that life. You know, our mission is so clear. We exist for the glory of God and to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. Church, let's hone in on that singular purpose in 24. We make disciples. God's purpose over personal preference. Oh, boy. God's purpose over personal preference. Mm. Every person is a minister of the gospel at Enon Baptist Church. We exist for the hallowing of God's name. We hallow your name. Your kingdom come. Our little kingdoms be gone. And it truly is true that a disciple of Jesus is someone who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. Wherever you serve at Enon Baptist Church, you should do so with excellence. You should not cut any corners. You should be the best at what you do in the area that you serve. You should be the one raising the bar. Everyone else should be looking at you going, man, I can't slack around, man. Look at the raising the bar and what they do. You get a bunch of people raising the bar for God's glory. Watch out. Just simply begin to ask, what can I do to get behind the mission? What can I do? comes back to one question. What am I not willing to? To give Jesus in 24. You know our theme again? Jesus wants more in 24. I got an idea. Let's just give it to him. How's that sound? <laughs> Pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus, what do you want? Here it is. Take it. Church, I don't know if you know this, but, but you personally, every person here, whether you're in this room or listening, you have an opportunity to impact people for all eternity. Have you ever thought about that? Think about this for a moment. You have an opportunity to impact people for all eternity. What greater opportunity is there? In Your presence, O Lord, is the fullness of joy. At Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not in the world, not in things, not in hobbies, not in our families. In Your presence, O Lord. In Your presence. That's where the real joy is. So church, finally, I want us to look at one verse. Verse 3 of chapter 20, Acts. And what happens next after he does this encouraging? Well, I think we could sum it up pretty simply. Help me somebody, where God is working, so is... And there it is. Acts 20, verse 3. There He... who's He? Any ideas? Yeah, good answer. Paul. He spent three months, and when a plot, not if, but when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So again, where God is working, so is Satan. It's just how this works. This is part of planet Earth. If you're going to run hard after Jesus, Satan's going to run hard after you. He hates you, hates your marriage, hates your family. He's going to do everything he can to discourage you to get you to quit, to get you to throw in the towel. And here Paul is again. I mean, again he's dealing with this nonsense. He's getting ready to set sail. There's this pilgrimage going on again through, for Pentecost and Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. And somehow, somehow God alerts him that there's some Jews out there that are probably going to want to throw him and murder him overboard. And so he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, here's an interesting thought. I don't know if you caught this. So, who's plotting against Paul? Not a trick question. It's in your Bible right in front of you. What's the answer? Any ideas? The Jews, right? Is Paul a Jew or a Gentile? He's a Jew. Even Jesus experienced this that the people of your own household will be the very ones that are attacking and trying to bring you down. And that's exactly what's going on with Paul. That's why our last key is key number two. Write this down. Key number two, write this down. Again, we see just another example that as Paul is obeying the Lord, Satan is threatened. And when Satan is threatened, he deploys his spiritual terrorists to plot and scheme against those that are walking in obedience. Let me read that one more time. Key number two. Again, we see just another example that as Paul is obeying the Lord... Satan is threatened, and when Satan is threatened, he deploys his spiritual terrorists to plot and scheme against those who are walking in obedience. Church, write down Jeremiah. I'm going to give you one big chunk to support this. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18. Listen to these words from the prophet who, by the way, Jeremiah... Would you say Jeremiah had an easy life or a hard life? What would you say? What would you say? Anyone know? Any theologians out there, Jeremiah? They called him what? The weeping prophet. And there was a reason because his life was full of heartache and pain. He had a Jeremiah ministry that as he's teaching the truth of God's Word, as he's compelling people to repent, as he's asking people to obey the Lord, to to walk in holiness, to to walk in truth, to walk in righteousness, they continually said, no, 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 and more no. Well, look at Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1 and following. It says this, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Who did the word come to Jeremiah from, church? Church? The Lord. Okay, that's very important, right? You start with that and you end with that. Verse 2, here it is. "'Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went, so I obeyed. I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel.' And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now look at verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Here's a prophecy. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil. There it is right there. Let me read that one more time turns from its evil, repents from its evil. No more hard-heartedness. No more stiff neck. No more brazen forehead. No more don't tell me what to do. No, there's a soft, tender heart that's repenting and turning from its evil. I will relent of the disaster, says the Lord, that I intended to do to it. And if any time I declare concerning a nation, verse 9, Jeremiah 18, or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. Well, this is powerful. We can apply this to our lives. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So here's a command to go say something. Thus says the Lord. By the way, whatever happened to thus saith the Lord? I believe people are starving for a word from heaven. What happened to thus saith the Lord? Well, thus says the Lord. Behold, I am shaping disaster against you. And devising a plan against you. Now, not a trick question, but God's doing the devising. So if God's devising a plan against you, against me, who do you think is going to win that war? Well, what happens next? Return. So there's a compelling return. Repent everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say... Oh, here's the response. Here we go. Ready? But they say... That is in vain. It's, it's empty. We will follow our own plans. And we, yes, will, everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. I mean, this is brazen pridefulness, isn't it? It's one thing to go, we're not going to listen. It's a whole nother level, right? We're talking a whole nother level when people start saying, we're actually going to listen to the stubbornness of our own heart. That's wickedness at its core. Therefore, 13 says the Lord, ask among the nation who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry and the cold flowing streams? But my people, this is the Lord speaking, but my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways to the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway of the Lord, making their land a land of horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Forever everyone who passes by is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Then they said, come let us make plots against Jeremiah. Does this sound familiar? We're in Jeremiah. We're also in Acts 20, and do you see what happens when people get confronted with the truth? They begin to scheme and make plots against the truth tellers. Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the what church? The tongue. Oh, there it is the tongue. The tongue poisonous tongue and let us not pay any attention to any of his words period in quote Wow can you imagine sitting in their shoes can you imagine what the Lord's gonna do to those type of people even today that resist and rebel there's a plot against Paul. He heard about it. He went another way. Here's Jeremiah. They're plotting against him. You know what I've learned over the years? I've learned a couple things. Did I tell you when I was in school I got straight A's? Did I mention that to you? Did I tell you about that? I got A's in, um, in PE lunch study hall a plus in study hall a plus in study hall a- and believe it or not i got an a in pottery i'm not making this up I'll, I'll bring you one one time i still have some from all those years ago you know what's so interesting about the pottery class even though it was it was an amazing class you would take this lump of clay and you would sit at this little wheel have like a little accelerator the harder you press the pedal, the more it would spin. And before you can make the pottery, the mug, the vase, you had to make sure that the clay was in the center of the wheel. There were so many times I took the clay and you put water on there, and it was not in the center, and when something is not in the center and it's spinning, what happens to that thing that's spinning? It begins just to kind of flop around. And so you had to make sure before there was anything else you did that the clay was in the center of the wheel, because otherwise you would take it and scrap it and throw it away. Spiritually, that's where every human being is in 2024. You got to make sure the clay of your life is in the center of not the wheel, but in God's will. You've got to make sure you're in the center of His will. Church, the question in 24 is not what are you willing to give God? The real question is what are you not willing to give Him? Because whatever you're not willing to give Him is exactly where you are spiritually. Here's a few closing thoughts as we are in 24. Let me just read these to you. I'll just read down what I wrote. Final thoughts. Here it is. Listen closely. Just listen closely. Don't move around. Just listen. We cannot spiritually afford to lower God's standard. We must daily, doggedly fight to live up to God's standard, not lower Him to our standards. Remember, we're a church, not a business. We do business. But we're a church, our number one focus is spiritual matters, giving God glory, being fully devoted disciples of Jesus that make fully devoted disciples of Jesus. Number two, again, guard Sunday morning with your life. Get whatever you need to get done on Saturday or Sunday afternoon but guard Sunday morning with your life. 10:30 a.m. is not a time to sit back and watch the performance. 10:30 a.m. is a time to get engaged and worship the Lord, exalt his name, pray and feast on his word. Number 3, we cannot spiritually afford to remain comfortable in sin. It's way too easy to subtly fall into sin patterns. And now the new normal is to be spiritually average. Number four, we can't allow others to remain spiritually comfortable in their sin. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It seems risky, I get it. They might be offended. But what's more risky is that it could infect the entire body if the infection spreads. Next, we need spiritually bold men and women that are spiritually vigilant and taking proactive spiritual action on the offensive. Don't be reactive, be proactive. Next, we must raise the bar of excellence in all that we do. We must raise the bar of excellence in all that we do. Remember, we're working for the Lord, not working for man. Working for the Lord. You might even hear me pray this often, but I pray this, right? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You, God, and only You. You're my audience of one. You're the one I please. May that be all of us and all that we do. We should be the best employees. We should work extra. We should be early. We should just go the extra mile and all the way. We represent Christ. We must resist the temptation next to substitute online church for in-person church. COVID did just a number on this one. We're not designed to just watch on a screen. I get there's times where you have to. We're designed to be here. Again, go back to guarding Sunday morning. We've already learned today it's a sin to neglect the gathering together. May we not walk in that sin. God's not going to bless that. He's not going to bless your life. We must be missile-locked, number next, on pursuing holiness daily. You will never, I will never, fall into holiness by accident. It won't happen. (laughs) You're not going to wake up one day going, how'd I get here? An intentional pursuit of pursuing holiness. just a few more if you have truly surrendered your life to christ satan is going to war against you if you haven't already done so it's time to wake up and start going to war against him next way too many people are simply wasting their lives on trivial pursuits of no spiritual value do you want to know how you know that christ owns you have you ever thought about this thought do you want to know how you know christ owns you your desires and your appetites for things will change. If your desires and your appetites are still the same as before Christ, there's a major problem going on. There will be such a new desire because you're a new person. And my fear is all across our world today, there's many people that claim Christ But they've never become new. When you get to the end of your life, what will you have to give God? Have you ever thought about this one? Like when you get to the end, when I get to the end, what are you gonna give God? Hey, God, here's my sailboat. Here's my retirement account. Here's my condo by the beach. Here's my golf swing. Here's my rod and reel. Here's all my kids and grandkids that are spiritually dysfunctional because I enrolled them in idol worship on Sunday mornings. Or, are you going to say, here's my life. Here it is. And all the broken pieces. Here's my spiritual armor. It's got fiery darts sticking out of it, but but here it is. It wasn't perfect, but I ran the race. Is that what you're going to give God? Church, are you willing to lay down every, every, every area of your life, starting right now? Holding nothing back. Because the question is not what are you willing to give God? The question is what are you not willing to give Him? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, The King of glory. Lord, there's no doubt after talking with pastors over these last few weeks all over the country that there's such a hunger and a desire to see a move of You. And when I read Your Word, You're typically not the one holding things back. So God, I pray, I just pray with a desperation. I pray there will be people even right here in this congregation that in 2024 they will count everything else as loss for the treasure, the glory, and the infinite prize of being determined to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so God, would You raise up those people even right here this morning. Those people that are listening. Will You raise them up? God, for that person today who's never truly given their life to You. God, I pray today will be the day of salvation. For that person who has professed You, but many... This morning that you have them under heavy conviction. And you've revealed what they're not willing to give to you. God, I pray that this would be the moment of true freedom. No longer surrendering some. But from this day forward, surrendering all. God, You can do the work. We can't. Unless You build the house, we all labor in vain. But what we can do is have soft, tender hearts that are obedient and that are surrendering everything to You. God, may that be me. May that be every person listening and every person in this room right now. Holy Spirit, whatever the enemy's trying to do at this very moment, I pray those schemes come to nothing. Those plots, I pray, as it came to Jeremiah and to Paul, I pray they would come to nothing right now. And I pray, God, that who the Son sets free would right now be free indeed. And so, God, do the work. Move in power as we decrease and You increase. And I pray that the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart have been acceptable to you and only you, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.
1: Amen.